well, good morning, everybody. Uh, like Raphael said, my name is Matt, and I'm really happy to be here with you guys. It's fun. I, I look forward to coming here. The, every time I get to meet some new faces, I get to see some old friends. So it's just great to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I get the privilege of pastoring a church in Tustin called New Life. So we've been around for about seven years, and uh, we love this city. We love partnering with Voice to serve Tustin. So it does really feel like we're with family. Uh, a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm born and raised here in Orange County. If you looked up um, Orange County Bubble Kid in the dictionary, my picture would pop up. I have never lived outside of like a two-mile radius my entire life. So it, it has some downfalls, but the positives are that I just love this community. I love this area. Uh, we just, my wife and I just celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary last week. Thank you. And... The second day of our sabbatical, we found out that we were pregnant with our third child. So we are super excited. So there's a lot of good things going on. We feel very blessed, and I'm just happy to be here with you guys. So let me pray real quick, and then let's jump into God's word. God, we are so grateful that this room is filled with your spirit. There's not a part of this place that you have not already gone before and touched, and blessed, and just anointed. And so, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open, that our ears would unplug, that our minds would slow down, and that we would hear the words of our Father, that we would hear the words of our Savior, we would hear the words of the Spirit that is leading us. So God, be glorified in what we do, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I am excited to talk to you guys about what I believe is one of the most overlooked gifts of the gospel. So if I were to ask you, hey, what are some of the benefits of the gospel? Or what are some of the gifts of what God has done? I think a lot of us would raise our hands and we'd say, God has forgiven us. And I'd say, amen. You'd say, God has made it so we can spend eternity with him in his presence. And I'd say, you're right. Some of you would even maybe say, we've been adopted into God's family. And I'd say, true. And we'd go on and on with these beautiful benefits of the gospel. But if I asked 100 people, I bet you only two or three would say what I believe is one of the most overlooked gifts of the gospel. And that is the gift of peace. That the gospel gives us a gift of peace. I want to show you guys what I mean. If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14 is an incredible passage that all of us should have memorized and underlined in our Bibles. John 14 verse 27. I'm going to be reading from NLT. So if you're on your phone and you want to flip to an exact translation of what I'm reading, go for it. John 14 27. It says this, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. I'm going to read that one more time. I'm leaving you with a gift, voice. Peace of mind and heart, and the peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't 
be troubled or afraid. So Jesus is saying, voice, I have a gift for you. And it is a gift that is incredibly unique. And it is a gift that you cannot receive anywhere else. Jesus even compare and contrasts it with worldly peace. He says, the peace that I'm going to give you is nothing like the peace that the world is going to try to offer you. Because the reality is, is the world, our culture and our society, it can bring us some peace. But the truth is, is that worldly, societal, cultural peace is always circumstantial. Let me explain what I mean by that. A worldly peace is based on, there's these set of conditions. And if all of these conditions are met, then we experience a glimmer of peace. I always tell people, worldly peace comes from the ability to answer the what question. What do my finances look like? What is the health of my family? What is the forecasting of the economy? What is the housing crisis like? What is the current state with COVID and cases rising? Worldly peace is based on your ability to answer the what questions correctly. What political candidate is in, is in the White House right now? What is going on with my school that my, my children are at? What, 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 what? And if... You can go 10 for 10 or 20 for 20, and all of your conditions get met. Then you experience a glimmer of peace. But if any of us have lived over the past three years, we know that is very unlikely to happen. That all of your conditions, that all of your what questions will get answered at the same time. So many of us, we're waiting. We say, no, just around the corner, all of my conditions are going to be met. No, when the next political person comes in, or the next wave of vaccines, or the next wave of the economy, or when I get that raise, or when my kid goes off to college, then I will experience peace. And we're waiting for all of our conditions to be met. And the reality is, is that's very unlikely. Now, for some, it does happen. And there are seasons where all of your conditions, all of your what questions are answered correctly. But do you want to know the double-edged sword of this? Is when and if you finally get to the place where all of your conditions are met, do you know what you start to begin to worry about? The day that they don't. So your kids are finally healthy, but then you wonder, what if they get sick next month? And, and you finally get that raise, but then you start to think, well, what if my new boss doesn't like me? And you finally get the political candidate in office that you want, but then you say, well, what happens in four years? And so even if all of your conditions are met, worldly peace is so fleeting because then your attention shifts from these questions being answered to the days that they're not going to be. The point that Jesus is making is he's saying, look, you can hold out for worldly peace all you want. And you can cross your fingers, but it's not going to satisfy. And he's very clear. The peace that I give, the gift that I give, is nothing like what the world can give. And we know this. This isn't news to you. All of us walk in today with a level of anxiety. 
We carry burdens. We have stress. We have fears. There are serious issues that we are facing that I don't mean to make light of. We have diagnoses. We have bills staring us down the faith. We have lost loved ones. We have future problems coming. We come in today nervous, fearful, and anxious. And this is why this forgotten gift is so important that we need to ground ourselves in John 14, 27. Because Jesus says, voice, I've got something for you. I have a gift for you. And it's a peace that you and I desperately need. Jesus' peace, biblical gospel peace, The Bible uses the word shalom often, and shalom is a beautiful, deep word, and and it implies like peace in the soul level. It's a completeness, and it's a wholeness. And the Bible tells us that shalom is not found from being able to answer the what questions, but shalom, true, lasting peace, comes when you can answer the who question. Check out this verse. Look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. You don't have to turn there. We'll throw it up on the screen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says this. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called, say these four with me, would you? Wonderful counselor, Mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Right? We often think of this as like a Christmas passage, so it only gets read once a year. And really, this should be a key focal point for all believers, because this is a description of Jesus, of the type of Savior that will come, that will save and rescue us. We have a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and so often we forget the last part, that he is the Prince of of peace. Biblical peace, godly shalom, does not come from what questions. It comes from a who question. It comes from a person. Peace in your soul comes from a person, and his name is Jesus. And he has come and entered into your chaos entered into darkness, entered into earth to give you something that can be found nowhere else. So if you're saying to yourself, okay, Matt, I'm listening, I'm following, I get that you're saying worldly peace and godly peace is different, and I see that you're trying to build a case that godly peace is found in Jesus, but you should be asking the question, like, how does Jesus bring peace to my soul? It's the, the inner skeptic in all of us, we all can say, okay, it sounds nice, but how does a person do that? And the answer that I tell people is not what you think. I tell people, Jesus' peace is found in his hands. Let me explain what I mean by this. When I talk about God's hands, when I talk about Jesus' hands, When have you ever thought about it? What would we even say? If I said, what are God's hands like? Often we would scratch our heads and say, that's a weird question. I have no idea. 
But the Bible actually gives us some descriptions that are profound and are key to us unlocking peace. Let me show you what I mean. Look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12. How many of you guys, when I said, tell me about God's hands, you started singing the Sunday school, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the, is it just me? All this can be one other person? We're the Sunday school kids? I thought three of you would start singing that to me. Wow, all right. Different crowd. Isaiah 40, 12. Look what this says. Who else has held the oceans in his what? Hands. Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Stop right there. I had to do some Google searching this week. And I had to ask myself, because I didn't know how much the oceans cover the earth. Who wants to take a guess of how many square miles the oceans cover on our earth? Raphael, you got a guess for me? 70%, that's the number we've all been told, right? And it is true. It equates to 139 million square miles of oceans. And that's, that's on our earth, right? And we're told in Isaiah 40 that he held 139 million square miles in his hand. And that is nothing compared to the second verse. Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Right now, physicists estimate that the size of our universe, got to get this right, 93 billion light years. That should evoke an ooh and an ah, I would have thought. That's a pretty big universe. I know we say the measurement light years, and we have no concept of that. We just think like a flashlight shining. We go, that's far. Like, that's, an, that's a jaw-dropping number. Can we try it again? 93 billion light years. <laughs> like, we're getting it now. Thank you. Okay. And we're told that God goes, oh, that's my pinky and my thumb. Like, that's nothing to me. Now, I don't know if these verses are meant to be taken literal, and we actually have to imagine God with a really big hand. Maybe. I don't know. I think the point that when you read this, you should take away from God's hands, or that God's hands are symbolic with power. He has the ability to stretch out the heavens. He has ability to measure the mountains, to hold the oceans. The original readers of this would understand that God's hands represent power. When I asked you, what do you think of when you think of God's hands? Now you can say, well, God's hands to some degree are symbolic of power. And they are. 93 billion light years are between his fingers. They're no big deal. But that's not the only description that we are told about God's hands. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5, check it out. We are told that the hands of God, the hands of Jesus, he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole He was whipped so we could be healed, right? So some of us would have said, well, Matt, I know that God's hands were pierced for me on the cross. And I'd say, great. If I asked a follow-up question to most people on the street, though, do you know why Jesus' hands were pierced on the cross? That's where you'd get some confused looks. 
Most people could tell you, oh, isn't the Christian story about God being nailed to a cross? And so I guess his hands were pierced, so I can answer that, right? And I said, correct. And I said, do you know why? Like, what's behind it? And I think even many of us who've grown up in church would say, I'd have to think about that. Like, what's, why? And we're told, crystal clear, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9 says this. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And then look at verse 10, in case you didn't catch it. He says, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. So why did Jesus go to the cross? Like what was behind it? To demonstrate to all of us what real love looks like. Without a true north, we have no idea of the direction of something. Without the cross, we would have no concept of love. We would all just have our best guesses. We could just come up with things. But the Bible says, no, We have a true north of what love looks like. So every other form of love can always be measured against the true love, and we have some kind of gauge and reference point. So the second thing that I think we need to recognize is God's hands, which were pierced, to demonstrate what real love looks like, is God's hands represent love. So in case I've lost anybody here, Let's recap really quick. God's hands on this side, what do they represent? Power, wonderful. And God's hands over here, which were pierced for you, why? To demonstrate what? Love. You got two answers right there. What God, well, tell me about God's hands. Well, they represent power, and they were pierced to demonstrate love. It's like, great. We're almost there. There's one other part we have to understand, though, about God's hands that make this all come together. It's found in Isaiah 49, chapter 14. I'm going to have you guys turn there, because I I do want this one underlined. Go to Isaiah 49, or yeah, Isaiah 49, 14. I will wait, because this is a verse we all need to know. I'm flipping there myself. Isaiah 49, verse 14. I'm going to give a little context for this. The nation of Israel has gone through a terrible season. And they, like many of us, are wrestling with questions of if if God is good, does God care, is he with me? Things that you and I have wrestled with in the dark. That in our honest, raw moments with the Lord, we've raised some pretty tough questions. And the nation of Israel is raising those sort of questions right here. So look what picks up here. Look at verse 14. Yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. The Lord has forgotten us. Many of you can relate to that. Look what verse 15 says. Never can a mother forget her nursing child. Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you. Look at verse 16. See, I have written your name on the palms of my hands. Your name is written 
on the palm of God's hands. One of my favorite movies is The Count of Monte Cristo with Jim Caviezel. Has anybody seen that? Oh, please. I could almost give you permission to leave right now and go rent it and watch it. It might be more powerful than my whole entire sermon. Please go watch The Count of Monte Cristo. It's an incredible movie. There's the premise. There's this guy named Montez. No, Dantes. Monte Cristo. Dantes. He's like the hero of the story. He's this great guy. He falls in love with this woman. He's very poor. He can't give her a ring. So he ties a string around her finger, and it's symbolic of his proposal and his engagement. And she doesn't care. She loves him so much that she says, this is the best ring I've ever received. The next morning, Dantes, the hero's best friend, frames him for murder, and Dantes goes to jail. And Don, I love the gasp. Oh, my gosh. Thank you. That's how I feel right now. Thank you. Okay. You should, for the rest of you, wake up framed by your best friend. Gosh. All right. So thank you. He gets framed by his best friend. He goes to jail, and he's basically sentenced to death. But no good movie ends that way. He ends up getting out of jail. I'm going to try to, like, fast forward it because I need you guys to watch it. Essentially, he kind of recreates himself as the Count of Monte Cristo. He becomes a new person, and he sees his former fiance has married the best friend that framed him. Thank you. Second grasp. You guys got it. I was about to walk out if you didn't gasp on that. And he's furious because he sees her with his best friend. And the reality is, is they actually, that night that he proposed and they got married, she gets pregnant with Dantes' baby, but because he's gone, she quickly marries his best friend. There's a lot of things to unpack. But he finally confronts her and says, how could you so quickly forgotten about me? I proposed to you on the beach. You said I was the love of your life. I go, and though that quickly you marry my best friend. He has this incredible moment, and he's freaking out in anger. He's cursing. He's saying, why have you forgotten me? In one of the best scenes in all cinematography, she throws up her hand, and what's still on her hand is the string wedding ring. And she says, I have never forgotten you. And it's this moment that you just left speechless. She says, don't you dare say that I have forgotten you because this ring has never left my finger. I think so many of us, we feel a little bit like Dantes. We say, God, what happened? I pledged my allegiance to you at a summer camp. I was baptized in church. I dedicated my children. I gave my offering. I served on the worship team. And this is what you got for me. All that's happened over the past three years has been loss, heartache, sadness, division, diagnosis, eviction, credit score, bankruptcy. And really, God, this is what you've done for me. We feel what the Israelites feel. We feel what Dantes feels. And yet God would say, don't you think for one second I have forgotten you. He would say, look, your name is written on my hand. Look, voice, despite what you may feel, your name is on my hand, and I have not forgotten about you. 
The gift of peace comes when we realize that we are held in the hands of power and love. When each of us realize that our name, Matthew, is inscribed on Yahweh's hand, and my name being on his hand is representative of his hand cradling me. The hand that stretches out the universe, the hand that was pierced for love, that same hand holds his son. And there are seasons I get knocked down. And there are seasons where I'm on a mountaintop. But what doesn't change is I never leave the hand of my father. John chapter 16, verse 33 says this. John 16, verse 33. See if you got it, otherwise I'll flip to it. John 16, 33 says this. I have told you all of this voice so that you may have peace in me. This is Jesus talking. He's saying, I've told you all of this. Why? So you can experience peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. We want to delete that part where Jesus tells us we're going to have many trials and sorrows. We want his words to say, the day you become a believer, everything will work out great. And there are even many preachers who propagate that message. That when you become saved, you are so blessed that you're protected. And Jesus' own words say, no, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart. Because you are in my hands. But take heart because your name, your essence is carved onto God. And so when the storms come, and when the rains come, and when the bills stack up, and the diagnosis stack up, can we get angry? Absolutely. Can we cry out to God? Absolutely. Can we cry with our family? 100%. God is big enough to handle all of your emotions. My prayer and hope today is that what we don't do is go the next step of thinking we've been abandoned. That we don't, like Don Tess said, you left me because God's word says, I have not left you. I am incapable of leaving you. And when that truth, that you are held in the hands of power and love, begins to sink in, not only to your head, but to your heart, do you know what happens? Shalom is born. And a little bit of peace begins to take root in your heart. And that worldly peace that you are chasing after is less important. And the what questions that so dominated your life, they're not as powerful. The who question begins to be more true and speak a louder word.
I have a very real understanding that the 50 of us in this room come in with a very unique and real set of issues, problems, and fears, and worries. And never once does the Bible say ignore them. Jesus simply says, remember who's holding you. Remember whose hands you are in. And take heart. Don't give up. I have overcome the world, and I've got you. And faith is allowing that truth to penetrate your heart and give that the most attention. So Jesus, I invite the band up right now. Jesus, I just pray that your shalom would dominate the lives of every single person in here. God, I pray that we would repent of the worldly peace that we've been chasing after. God, I pray that we would turn from the what questions that we have been giving way too much attention to, Lord. And I pray that right now, through the power of the Spirit, we would turn our attention to the who, the Prince of Peace, who's offering peace, who's giving it as a gift, that each and every one of us would take hold of that peace. Because we are sons and daughters of God. And I pray that right now, despite the flames that we're going through, despite the storms that we're experiencing right now, we would declare, I am held in the hands of power and love. I am held in the hands of power and love. And my name is written on God's hands. And I will allow that to speak the loudest truth over my life. Holy Spirit, may that go from our heads to our hearts right now. And may we begin to experience divine shalom in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, it's, it's so crazy. Uh, <laughs> in about a month from now, because I'm preaching July 31st, uh, it'll be something along what you were saying today. Uh, and, it's, and, and it's crazy. I, I'm not going to take that angle. I'm taking a different angle. But there's a phrase that it, you, it'll be burned in your mind by the time I'm done on July 31st. And it's this idea that it's all is well. And some of you have been church long enough, because I'm not going to give you the full context of what that means, but just trust me to know that there was a lady where nothing was well. There was nothing that was well with that particular life, her life circumstances, and as she was running to the Lord, they asked her, hey, are you all right? All is well. All is well. And there's something that I've learned from my mother is the idea and it's, I, just, I just haven't heard this in a long time. The idea that you are in God's hands. I think every single one of us in here have a, a, a legitimate reason to not be okay. Legitimate reason not to be, not have the quote-unquote right attitude to praise God this morning. But the reason why often, and my wife will tell you this, and I just had this conversation with my younger brother. The reason why I'm okay is because I know where I'm at. And that is in God's hands. God's hands. You know, back in old school church, we had this idea that we have Jehovah Jireh, like our provider. And now those are fancy words that most of you haven't heard in years. Or like Jehovah Rapha, he is my healer. You know, and there's so many things that for whatever the reason we just haven't spoken about, and, and, and thank you, Pastor, for reframing some of the things that I thought were too religious at times. Like the idea 
that we are covered in the hands of God is something that has sustained me over and over and over again. So let me just encourage you. And before we pray out, again, there's our connection card right in front of you. If you're here today and you want to get connected, we would love to get connected with you. Uh, every single time that we gather, uh, we also do an, a love offering for the Lord. So there's ways for you to do that. Super simple ways here on your way out. And lastly, if we could just lift up our hands. Because here at church, we truly believe that God speaks through people, speaks through you. And we just want to be an encouragement to our community. Lord, we just want to say thank you again, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you again, Lord God, for how great, how awesome you've been to us every single day. Lord, I know that prayer sounds very similar to every prayer I pray every Sunday. But Lord, I believe it. I, and, and I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we go out and we celebrate 4th of July with our loved ones, that we will have a great time in community with those that we love. Father, I pray for Pastor Matt. Thank you for bringing him to our church. Thank you for bringing him to our lives. He's been a blessing. I pray, Father, he will continue to be a blessing where you have planted him. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.